Welcome to the High Income Business Writing Podcast, helping you propel your writing business to a whole new level. And now, here's your host, Ed Gandia. Well, hello there. Thank you for joining me for episode 91 of the High Income Business Writing Podcast. My name is Ed Gandia, and this is the podcast for business writers and copywriters who want to take their writing businesses to the six-figure level or the part-time equivalent. As a quick reminder, you can find the detailed show notes to this episode by going to b2blauncher.com forward slash episode 91. You know, you've heard the advice before. Position yourself as an authority in your field and business will start coming your way. Clients will flock to your door. And I think many of us understand this idea conceptually, but it can also be hard to figure out exactly how to become that authority, how to position yourself that way, how to develop that expertise. And then the negative self-talk and self-sabotage sets in and definitely doesn't help. You know, the, who do you think you are? You're no expert. You're no authority. I bet that sounds familiar to many of you because I know it sounds familiar to me. Now, this is a very big topic, and it's one that I'd like to cover in more detail over the next few months in additional podcast episodes and some additional training. But today, I wanted to at least open the door. I wanted to at least kickstart that discussion so we can go ahead and put these arguments to rest and start creating some step-by-step actionable plans on developing that kind of expertise where needed and positioning yourselves in a way that's going to start attracting more and better paying clients to our, to our businesses. My guest this week is Scott Augment, a consultant and blogger who writes about content marketing He's also the author of the book, 51 Content Marketing Hacks, Extraordinary Lessons on Creating Content That Will Help You Sell More and Gain More Customers. Now, let me just tell you right off the bat, our conversation here in this episode may not answer all your questions. In fact, I know it won't, but I hope that it at least gets you thinking in the right direction and that it sets the stage for, again, additional episodes on this very important topic. So with that, let's get right to that interview. Scott, thanks for coming on the show today, man. It's good to have you here. You're welcome, Ed. Thanks for having me. So, uh, you know, our discussion today, and we're going to talk about a couple of different things, but um, this is something that I think we've needed to talk about for a while in the show. You have an interesting perspective here, and and I'm anxious for you to share some of these thoughts with with our audience. But but before we get there, why don't you give people a little bit of context? Tell us a little bit about who you are, you know, what you do uh, these days, what you're known for, that, that sort of thing, so people understand where you're coming from. Uh, I, I'm a blogger. I write about content marketing. Uh, I, I do consulting for people. Um, one of the things I'm probably most well-known for is uh, I write regularly for Content Marketing Institute, and I, um, I can't remember how many years ago now. It's probably about three years ago. Uh, put together a blog called The 21 Types of Content We All Crave. It's all about writing and the types of um, content across the board, whether it's movies, interviews, books that people, you know, just are attracted to. And that thing, uh, you know, when I put it together, I felt like, man, this thing could be good. And I, you know, offered it to them and I hadn't seen them do many infographics at that point. I had just written for them. 
Um, but that thing has been shared like all over the place in multiple different niches. And so that's probably what I'm mo- most known for. And then I'm the author of a book called 51 Content Marketing Hacks. Awesome. And and I think I came across, well, I know one of our listeners uh, recommended I reach out to you. And the first thing I came across was that article at uh, Content Marketing Institute. And man, go, I think yeah. it was blown up when I looked at the uh, number of shares. And I think yeah. it was one of the most shared articles that year. I think so. And, and you know, they, when they redesigned the site, the, 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 t- the tweet, uh, tweet count totally reset. So even what it is there is, is high. And I think it has like a hundred and something comments. They had to shut the comments down. So it, it kind of uh, confirms what I thought. Certain types of content resonates with people and that blogs, uh, that uh, infographic sort of kind of proved the point. So it was, it was a great, you know, surprise for me. So yeah, you do a lot of this stuff yourself, which which is awesome. And you know, specifically, if we're going to talk about um, uh, authority and thought leadership and positioning yourself as an expert and all those things, uh, right. but, but let's start here. Um, I know that you have kind of a different way to think through this, and uh, you specifically talk about how changing pronouns can change your business. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, you know, I think most people by default uh, logically spend all their time marketing what they do. And obviously, you need to market what you do. Um, But instead of just focusing all your marketing on what you are, when you change the pronoun, pronoun and begin to focus on the who of your business and not just the what, that can begin to change your business in ways you know that you would not imagine. Uh, and l- let me give you a couple examples. Um, Dr. Phil McGraw, you know, he's on TV. You know, is this guy the best psychologist in the world? You know, no. But because of who he is, he has no problem. You know, having best-selling books, he has no problems. Um, you know, getting speaking gigs, he has no problem getting clients and charging maximum premium you know, uh, amount for his time because of who he is. And, you know, another example would be Bobby Flay, you know, from the Food Network. You know, is Bobby Flay the greatest uh, chef or grill master in the world? No, but his restaurants are packed <laughs> with people lining up outside because they want to go to Bobby Flay's restaurant, even though across the street there might be a restaurant that has an equally uh, skilled chef or possibly a chef that's even better but because of who he is in the market's mind, he has suddenly attracted these customers and created a completely different environment than before anybody knew who he was. And so by changing who they are in the market's mind, the results that they're experiencing changed. And you know, I, I don't mean to imply that you know, either one of them are not skilled in what they do. They are skilled but they stopped just focusing on what they were doing in their marketing. And when they changed their who, the results changed, even though their skill level may be really, you know, we all get better over time. So I'm sure Bobby Flay is a better chef than he was five years ago. But overall, he's no better than he was when, when people didn't know who he was. But by changing who he was in the market's mind, his results changed, even though his skills might not have exponentially changed. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Now, um, these are great examples because they're extreme examples, right? We're talking about celebrity right. figures. These are people everyone would recognize or a lot of right. people would recognize. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, when you say they change uh, you know, who they were or they focus on the who, you know, what do you think they did right 
that uh, freelance professionals can can duplicate because I want to make sure people connect the dots here. We're not talking right. about reaching celebrity status, but what they did is is replicable here, and and I'd like to start talking about that as well. Right. Yeah. And and as I explain my story, I'll, I'll kind of explain how you know I I did these things myself. But let me just give Bobby Flay as an example. Um, we know he, when he was just a chef, and Food Network was just this small little cable you know, network that, you know, nobody hardly knew about. They made a call out to restaurant owners and said, you know, and chefs and said, would you like to come and do a show? Or maybe it was even a segment. I can't remember uh, when I read the article what it was, but would you come and be on our, our, our network? You had to actually get yourself there. They didn't have the money to fly you there. You had to be local. And, uh, you know, would you come do a show? And Bobby Flay thought about it. And he said, you know what? If I'm on this show, they get to see me, they get to hear my name, and they get to know that I have a restaurant over and over again. So he said, I jumped at the opportunity. And he said, nowadays, all these different chefs that turned it down that said no are all, you know, they're all fiending and trying to chase after Food Network and get on there. And now, you know, Food Network's, you know, has a gate now, you know, it's, you got to get, get across the gate and, you know, the gatekeeper has to say, yes, you're worthy to come in when before he could have, you know, they could have taken the opportunity uh, to step across, you know, and, and uh, begin to position themselves uh, in somebody else's market. Because these are two things that, that we really kind of have to understand. These are kind of two facts about the way, you know, marketing works in general and uh, in life in general. Um, who you are influences your prospects and your customers. So if you are an expert, you don't have to be Bobby Flay, you don't have to be Dr. Phil, but if you're just an expert in their minds, whether that's in your little local city or in your niche, if you're an expert, then you will be more desired and you'll be able to charge higher prices. And the second fact is besides the fact of who you are, but who your customers are and who your associates are begins to influence your prospects and customers too, you know. So if you have important people that have purchased from you, uh, important people that you've worked for, uh, if you've worked alongside other people that are important, all of these things increase your value in the market and then uh, make you more desirable uh, to that market. And again, now what, what may happen is some of your listeners may already realize some of these things have already happened in my life. I've already worked for certain people or I've done these things or I am sort of an expert. I've just never marketed that. They've never focused on that who aspect in their marketing. So, um, and, and all they need to do is begin to lift that up higher so that people can see it so it's more obvious. And then people begin to respond to you in a different way than when uh, those things were hidden. And you're absolutely right. I, I come across people who don't think they have anything to really just to show. And when we have a conversation, they start realizing, well, wait a minute, maybe I do have some things. And it's, I, I think we naturally kind of uh, downplay some of some of the things in our in our past or in our background or our track record that exactly right it could rise to the surface, and we could craft a very compelling narrative based on on some of those factors. That's right. You know, like if I, if I knew, you know, all the things you did and I, you know, I started to write down, I would probably point out things you would you overlook like, I don't care. And you do the same thing for me. It's, it's because we're so used to like, oh, yeah, that's just whatever. I did that. Yeah, it's no big deal. But to other people, those things, even if they're little things, they add up to kind of create 
that authority and that expertise, at least in perception. And I don't mean to deceive people, but it, it creates the, the actual perception that should be there because, you know, the person is an expert, whether they feel like an expert or not, compared to somebody else that knows nothing, you know, they're an expert. So before, before we go any further, I, I do want to clarify something, and I, I hope you can shed some light on this. This word sure. expert or right. authority, uh, I find that terrorizes a lot of people <laughs> right. um, because I, the feedback I get when I talk about that, and I just use it because it's very easy to talk about, right? You need to position yourself as an expert. That's kind of the catchphrase. Um, but I find that right. it intimidates a lot of freelance professionals because right. they really don't feel they're an expert. Uh, I think everyone's got a different definition, but my uh, perception has been that for a lot of people, expert means I wrote the book on, I'm the foremost authority on, you know, right. you fill in the blank, whatever. Um, right. What would you say to someone who, who feels that way about it? Well, you know, I, you know, I thought that for, you know, a long time, and I can't remember if it's Seth Godin. Godin um, I read so many different books, I sometimes forget where I come across the idea, but it's this whole idea of waiting for somebody else to declare you, you know, as something, as worthy. And most of us, you know, wait around. We, our whole lives we've been told you have to wait for somebody to say that you're, you're you know, you have value in this expertise. You know, you've got to get your degree. And again, those things are, va- you know, valuable, important. But this mindset of waiting for someone to tell you that you're worthy before you're worthy and declare you with this title, you know, that somebody randomly gives you and now suddenly you, you, you know, you're important. It's a fallacy. And, you know, like I said, with Bobby Flay, his level of cooking did not change from when he wasn't on the network to when he was on the network. The only thing that changed was someone's perception of his expertise. And it's, it's, uh, it creates this this new, um, you know, not just mindset for your audience, but for you. And, you know, in, in a recent episode, you were talking about feeling like a fraud. The, the more you begin to realize that you have value and everybody, you know, these other people we've lifted up and say, you know, they're experts, you know, they're, they're huge. You know, you already talked about in a previous episode, you know, these people feel as uh, clueless and as much of a failure as they do, as you do. So when you realize that reality, and you realize who you are and how you present yourself completely changes how somebody receives you, then you can begin to get that courage to realize, you know what, I actually know a pretty good amount of information. I'm actually pretty skilled at this writing, this business owner I'm approaching, this company I'm approaching. They don't have the skills I have, so I am an expert in this situation. They need my advice, and we just sort of need to build our confidence up in that level. It doesn't mean, you know, we're the, you know, the the most knowledgeable person in, you know, all the world, you know, on this, this subject, but we need to not play it down how much we know in our individual arena that we, that we move in. Well, that's just a great point. And I've always said, look, you, you know more about many different things than your average client. So right away, you know, they, they don't know that they just see that there's a gap that you right. seem to know more about this particular topic because you're in it every day than right. they do. Like a, a marketing director has to worry about all these different facets of marketing. You know, you're focusing on, let's say, writing white papers. Um, so that's your thing. That's what you're doing all the time. You're obviously going to be much more knowledgeable about that than they will. Do you have to be the world uh, leader in, in white papers? No. Um, the industry leaders, you, you don't. Um, right. the, other, the other thing I would say, and I learned this the hard way, um, especially when I wrote my co-wrote my book five years ago, was, you know, it's um, 
when you create this this content, we're going to talk more about that. But when when you create thought leadership content, when you put yourself out there, that process alone elevates you. That process that's right elevates your knowledge as well. What I had to do to prepare for that book and to put this get this content out of my head made me better, made me more knowledgeable, made me a better resource. Um, for people who are wanting this information. That's exactly right. And, and it's not even that you have to go walk around declaring yourself an expert, by ha- but by having your name on a book, people already are going to say, hey, this guy, Ed, is different than this other, you know, uh, generic person, you know. And the other thing, you know, as you're talking about, it made me think of, I have a friend that works with Stanford college students, you know, and I was, I asked him once, you know, aren't you intimidated, you know, by these students, you know, they're so, you know, the s- smartest students, you know, in, in the world, some of them. And, you know, he told me something that was really interesting. He said that outside of their expertise, most people have about a sixth grade knowledge of any other subject. Interesting. So, so you know, when you were talking about, you know, this marketing director, you know, that person is an expert in, you know, what they do. But when, you know, one of your copywriters comes in, th- this person that's the marketing director is probably has, you know, maybe because they're a marketing director, they have some, you know, higher knowledge than a sixth grader about copywriting. But in many ways, they are not the expert on what your listener is coming in to help them with. They just have a common knowledge that's not much better than anybody else that's not a copywriter. Yeah, and, and uh, the way I took that is sixth grade in terms of within that in that topic, it would be a sixth grade level. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. where you might have you know a, a bachelor's degree or a master's even. Yeah. So, you know, so these Stanford students that has, you know, they're getting a doctorate in engineering, you know, I'm, I can be intimidated when they talk about engineering, you know, but when I talk about other subjects, I know they're looking at me like, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> You're my hero, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. I forget who told me recently, Hey man, to, uh, to a sixth grader, an eighth or ninth grader looks like, you know, a genius. Yes. It, it's always relative. <laughs> it's always relative. Um, okay, so so this that's good. I just want to make sure to address that because I know it is a, a word that scares off a lot of people. So let's right. start talking about how you you can begin to change that perception in terms of your, um, your who. Well, I, you know, I think the two main things that I would encourage your listeners to focus on is how um, they or their business is perceived – uh, by their prospects, and then the second thing is where uh, they or their business is seen. Uh, by by focusing just on those kind of two general areas, you know how you or your business are are perceived, and where you and your business are seen. Those things can begin to give you a uh, momentum in that area of the who instead of the what. Okay, so so tell us more about that. What does that mean? Well. Let me let me uh, share a few personal stories, and this will maybe even help your listeners uh, understand the whole expert area, you know, concept. Um, I first got into marketing and business uh, by working on a music site in a small uh, small sub niche, a little genre of music, and I put this website online, and I, I could not care about marketing, never paid attention to marketing, you know, had the sixth grade understanding of marketing. Um, but suddenly, I needed people to come to my website. I needed them to visit, and so suddenly, I start I start paying attention to marketing. I'm I'm reading books about it. I'm reading, you know, every expert that was. This is back in uh, the late '90s. Every expert online, you know, guru. I was reading classic books on it, and um, this was during the dot com era. Era, and I lived in Silicon Valley, and I was a youth pastor at a church. 
and I worked with junior high and high school kids. So I'm not an expert, you know, at this point, you know, uh, I'm an expert at working with those students, but I'm not about marketing, but I start this website and I start growing this website and I start uh, getting interviews with these uh, artists in this niche and I start growing the traffic and I probably got that that website to one of the top three sites in that niche. And you know, again, it's not that it was that impressive that there was that many sites. Um, but I, I began to know marketing in a way I'd never known it. And I was applying it and seeing results. And at this point in time, uh, uh, 2001, my wife and I had our first child and we decided that she was going to stay home with our son. And we were suddenly going to survive on my youth pastor salary during the dot-com boom. And, uh, it was it was insane. It was difficult. And it was during this time I read uh, one person um, and he uh, in his book, he just mentioned, if you interview top experts and you compile those experts interviews together, you have an instant book. And if you want to you know, write an intro or conclusion, you can psychologically associate yourself uh, with them and uh, you have a product. And so I had already been interviewing experts in that little music niche. And I realized you know, quickly then, if I got the first person to say yes, the second one was easier, the third person's even easier. And, you know, by the end, you know, people are thanking me for including them. And so I decided, you know, this was 2001. And, uh, you know, September 11th had happened, the recession was kicking in, and I had been studying marketing for two or three years at this point, you know, self-study. And uh, I realized there's a lot of business owners that don't know how to survive and prosper in a recession. And so I decided to put together this book called How to Survive and Prosper in a Recession. And I send out uh, these emails and I get, I won't go into all the details, but I get these interviews back uh, from these experts and I end up with these top 18 at this point, it was 20 um, experts and uh, in business, sales, and marketing who gave me an interview. And by putting together that book, um, it caused me to learn, you know, a whole bunch of things about myself and about psychology and about this idea of your who. Um, when I ended up putting the book out, my fatal error was that I did not, I just tried to market to people trying to make money online. I didn't actually focus on the market I should have, which was the business owners. But what I did do is... By creating that book, and I got all sorts of great testimonials from these experts, by creating that book, suddenly, you know, I had I heard two or three years of marketing knowledge. So, you know, compared to, you know, someone that has no knowledge, I was an expert, but nobody understood that. But by putting together that book and writing the intro and conclusion, I psychologically associated myself with these experts. And that changed my position. That changed the way people thought about me in, in, in that market. And so, you know, my first little tip for people, I would encourage people in, in their niche to reach out to experts and to interview them. Um, pick experts that, you know, are known in your little sub-niche, you know. And uh, take those experts. You can, you know, you can do whatever you want with the content. You can take the, you know, the interviews and, and do, you know, like you're doing a podcast. You could do, you know, blog posts. You can compile it into a book. But as you begin to put these experts together in this niche, you will begin to be lifted up because now you're interviewing experts. And now who you are seen as in your market will be completely different than who you were, you know, the week before you started interviewing people. And let me just give this this uh, disc, not a disclaimer, actually encouragement, because I know some of your listeners are saying, you know, why would experts give me an interview? Uh, these guys gave me an interview, and and ladies gave me an interview when I was nobody. The reason experts will give you an interview is everybody wants exposure, and 
the only thing I offered them was a resource box where they could promote what they do to my audience. And there are still experts out there today that need that. And if you know, I, I would encourage people when you go out there, get crazy and go for the best expert you can. But if you can't get them, then go drop down, uh, you know, a lever, level or two and go for experts that are at not quite that level, but below them. And as soon as you get somebody to say yes, just keep asking experts that are along that same plane of expertise. And as soon as you get enough, you can bounce back up to that top level until you can get those top experts. And people will begin to say yes because of positive peer pressure. By the end of that book, I had people thanking me for including them in my book because they were so uh, grateful because they were being included and associated with these other experts that they respected. Wow. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Uh, so so let's talk about how uh, a hypothetical situation, right? Sure. And so here's how a writer or a copywriter could do this. Um, by the way, I've had really good luck in the past uh, going straight after authors, authors who are about to release a book yes. or just released a book. Because normally these folks will want the exposure regardless. But if, right. if they have a book being launched, they have even more incentive to to. To, to be interviewed. That's totally right. So look, find someone who's got a book uh, of some sort of marketing book uh, about to come out or coming out, reach out to them and see if you can interview them and explain, right, why, what you're doing with it. And, you know, let them know that you're going to include links to the book, etc. You, you do this for a few folks. And um, the reason you want to go to like a marketing author is you want someone who would want the exposure to your audience, which That's would exactly be right. marketing directors. That's right. Right. That's who's going to buy the book. Right. So, so that's how I would do that if, if I were a copywriter or a business writer. Yeah. Well, you know, the, another idea would be even, you know, to approach marketing directors again, you know, see, this is not my expertise. So you would know whether this would, you know, play out the way I'm imagining or not. But I, I'm, I'm assuming there are marketing directors in, in different arenas that are well known. Yes. Um, you know, they're basically a, you know, little mini celebrity. Nobody else knows them. But in, in that arena, they're well known. Now, I bet no one ever asks them for interviews. If you go and begin to ask those marketing directors for interviews, you know, uh, best practices, I mean, they're waiting around for, to be able to tell somebody what they know. And uh, you know, besides the fact they now know you and like you, and, you know, when you approach them later, but you, you've given them a platform, and then, you know, all of a sudden your site becomes this site where these, you know, top marketing directors are sharing their best practices and lessons, and, you know, you're attracting marketing directors, which is who you're trying to actually sell to, right? So, yeah. anyway, just an idea. Awesome. So, what other um, thoughts or insights do you have from, from, from this experience? Because I know there were, we talked about a few uh, earlier. Yeah. Um, the, the, I'll kind of keep going with my story. The, the, the next phase, you know, we, we moved out of the state and um, I ended up doing marketing uh, for a fairly large church on the East Coast and I stopped working on my own stuff. But I kept reading, I kept learning, and we came back to the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, and um, in 2008, the re another recession starts hitting. And I realized that this first book I did still has evergreen content, but I start thinking, hmm, why don't I, why don't I interview some more experts and, and compile those together and add, you know, volume two. And so, um, I did that and, um, I ended up with, I think I said 20 experts and, you know, I, I had a blog, uh, 
website, recessionsolution.com, which I still have, which has morphed into a whole different sort of category. But I'm, you know, I was writing blog posts. I was writing about marketing and business in the recession. I was getting some traffic. You know, people were, were sharing it on social media, but it was nothing, in, you know, impressive. You know, and during that time, I started to offer, offer uh, some free uh, consultations to people, and uh, you know, I got kind of moving in the area of consulting. But um, it was during that time that I came across this idea of focusing on the who instead of the, the what. And I, I saw it in this marketing book by Dan Kennedy. And then after I saw it there, what, what you know, usually happens in my life, you know, the reticular activating system in your brain is the part of your brain that suddenly notices things it's been ignoring its, its whole life. Suddenly I'm seeing it everywhere. I'm seeing Seth Godin talking about it. And so I decided I need to start focusing on my who instead of my what. Because I'm still you know, really, uh, you know, who are you instead of a who? And so what I did is um, around 2010, I started to notice content marketing is getting big. And I started to realize, you know what, I've been doing content, content marketing my whole, you know, career by accident. I didn't even know what it was. You know, when I, when I had that little music uh, site and I'm doing interviews with people, it, everything was content and I was attracting traffic. And then when I put together that first How to Survive and Prosper in a Recession book, it's content that's advertising me. I'm the product. And so what I realized is I kind of understood this thing and I came up with this idea for a, a blog post. This is when Justin Bieber was getting huge. And uh, I approached Content Marketing Institute. And I just said, hey, I got a, an idea for a, a post about how Disney used content marketing to make Justin Bieber famous. I said, would you guys like it? This was um, around 2011. And uh, they liked it. They promoted it. And I began writing for them two or three three times a year. I was later interviewed in some of their expert books that they give out for free. Um, but what I realized was by writing for them the same exact, exact type of content that I had been writing on my website, by getting exposure on their site, all of a sudden the results were completely different. You know, I'd, I'd post something on my site, you know, let's say I'd get, you know, uh, 20, 30 tweets, I post the, post the same type of content and I just put it over on Content Marketing Institute and suddenly I'm getting hundreds of tweets, all sorts of comments. I can't get, you know, I can't pay somebody to comment on my, on my site and all of a sudden like there's comments galore. And so the second tip that I would give uh, to your listeners is if you want to change your who is to begin to be featured on other people's platforms. Remember I talked about, you know, focus on where you're seen by having my writing seen on Content Marketing Institute, it changed the perception of who I am in the market and it changed uh, momentum uh, in, in what I was doing. And, you know, you can be featured on someone on someone's site uh, by writing a, you know, a guest post, which I'm guessing most of your listeners would be great at writing. And you know, all sorts of sites need guest posts. And again, start with the, the highest, best site you can try. And if they shoot you down, go to the next level, do exactly like I talked about uh, with the interviews. But the other thing is you could be interviewed on, on you know, someone's site because everybody's looking for content. You know, I'm being interviewed by you because, you know, you, you need content I'm and I need content. Yeah. And I need, and I need exposure. Everybody needs content. Everybody needs it. And so, you know, it, it's not as difficult as your audience might assume. I think the biggest thing is that that's ever going to stop them is not that it's not possible, but that we are afraid. And, and that, 
the, the simple thing is, is that those of us that actually have whatever level of success we have, it's just because we were crazy enough to do it, even though we were scared. And if, if your audience would do the same thing and just say, you know what, I'm going to try to just see if somebody would take this guest post, they'd be surprised who says yes. And then things begin to change. You know, I just listened to an interview with Brene Brown, author Brene Brown, um, and she, I love how she put it. She said, you can have only two things in life. You can have um, uh, comfort or courage. There you um, go. It, it's, it's one or the other. And of course, we know what comfort gets you. That gets you more of the same. That's uh, right. Or you can have courage and make some big things happen. The other quote I love is the, everything you want out of life is on the other side of fear. That's exactly right. Right. And, you know, I, I used to always think courage was that you, you were not afraid. And what I, uh, I realized more recently, again, I read it somewhere, um, and uh, courage is not that, you're, that you have no fear. Courage is that you're afraid, but you do it anyway. That's what courage is. Because if you're not afraid, then it's not courage, right? You know, you know I have to go to the bathroom. I went to the bathroom. That didn't take courage. You know, there's, there's, there's no fear. But whatever you're afraid of and you do anyway, that's courage, right? So Absolutely. it's not the absence of fear. So don't wait for fear to go away. Just, just decide I'm doing this anyway. I don't care, even if I fail. Then that's courage. Absolutely. When I started this podcast, I was scared. I was scared of putting myself out there. I was scared of putting this out there and having it fail. But... Um you know, I went for it anyway. Now this this worked out great. Some things have not succeeded, but that's right. You know, you just keep going. So let's let's talk a little bit about um, kind of getting more at a tactical level. I'm just curious uh, how how do you come up with topics to 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 write about to talk about? I mean, we talked about one way is right. You can bring in the content through. Other right. experts, you can interview them. Right. But even then, you still have to come up with some sort of angle. You still have to come up with questions. How do you come up with interesting topics? I hear from a lot of people who say, I don't know what I could write about that hasn't already been written about. Right. Well, I'll, I'll answer that in two ways. Uh, first of all, um, I think the biggest problem these days that we have is um, we don't have time to think anymore. We're all going nonstop. We got these little screens on our phones. We never take time to think. If you think about it, you know, 200 years ago, if you and I were alive, we would have so much time to think. You know, there's not electricity. People are sitting under the stars. They're imagining, hey, that thing looks like a, a big spoon. This looks like a cow. You know, they're sitting and thinking all the time, right? And, mm -hmm. and by, by thinking, you begin to have new ideas. When, when you don't think, your mind's going constantly with distractions, you never have time to think. And I think that's the biggest error in our society right now. And this is just my little, you know, side point. I, I have so many friends that can't sleep right now, <laughs> you know, like they have insomnia. It seems like more and more. And this is the, the problem. I think it is. I'm not a scientist, but this is what it seems to be. We are thinking, thinking, thinking nonstop, or, or sorry, not, not thinking. We're going, 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 letting, you know, just doing all sorts of stuff, not taking time to think. And we finally lay down at night and you finally give your, your brain a, a, a chance to process, hey, this is how the day want, this is what I want, this is what I don't like, and all of a sudden your brain has the moment of silence and all of a sudden it just goes and you can't shut up. And so we can't sleep. So that, that's a side thought. But if, if you begin to set aside time to think, you'd be surprised what ideas you can come up with. And uh, you know, I encourage people um, to begin taking a walk. Uh, I think one of the, the keys to people that were great thinkers, um, 
is that they took walks. I, I found this whole infographic about uh, these great experts that, you know, in different arenas, but they, they daily took a walk. And not only is walking good for your health, but don't bring your phone or turn your phone off because as soon as you're walking, you have nothing to distract you. You just have to think. So I would encourage your audience to, to take a 20-minute walk at least to go think. Um, it's good for you. And then the second thing is I'm always feeding my mind constantly because I'm feeding my mind, ideas are popping up left and right all the time. You know, like I keep, I keep mentioning ideas and I can't remember where they even came from sometimes, you know? So I think they need to be readers. If they're going to be writers, they need to be readers uh, or, or podcast listeners. You know, I mean, again, people that hate reading said, you know, don't have to feel like, Oh, well, that's that I'm stuck then, you know, they can listen to podcasts. I've been doing that, you know, um, driving my kids back from school and it gives you ideas. And so I would just, you know, have that phone ready to record, turn you on your recorder and tell yourself the ideas when you're on the walk or in the car, you know, don't kill yourself. Don't do anything dangerous, but capture those ideas when they happen, and then you'll begin to have more ideas than you can ever actually write about, you know, if you take the time to think and you take the time to feed your mind. Man, I, I couldn't agree more. And it's interesting that you point that out. I'd never thought about it that way. You're right. We really don't have a lot of time to think um, these days. I, I love my walks. I love my morning routine. I love journaling every morning. That's kind of when I do a lot of my thinking. Um, right. I always keep either a notebook with me or I do, unfortunately, take my phone, but really for the voice memo feature. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I can record um, my, my thoughts. But uh, I, I encourage people, those are some great practical ideas, by the way. I encourage people to mash up with the an idea from a podcast or from a book or from That's some right. other source with what they already know in their field. Cause I think those make the most interesting pieces. That's exactly uh, right. Right. When you compare, Hey, listen, I, I came across this the other day and you know, this ice cream store and right. uh, this is how it relates to, you know, one of the challenges we're having here in B2B marketing, for instance. Right. Um, but there's just so many opportunities out there to have a unique angle or hook for a, a, an issue that's been addressed already. It's really in how you spin it. It's that's really exactly in how right. you encourage your audience to look at it, maybe a little bit differently from the way they're used to seeing it. That's exactly right. Right. That's where the magic is. Yeah. Well, and, you know, another thought, you know, just, uh, just came to me as we were talking. Um, you know, most people um, think of meditation these days, and it's very popular. The Eastern way of thinking of meditation is emptying your mind of things. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm actually against that. Um, but Hebrew... The Hebrew understanding of meditation was a, a cow chewing its cud. And a cow, I think, has like seven stomachs. And when they're chewing the cud, they, they, you know, they chew the grass, they swallow it to the first stomach, and they digest it as much as they can. Then they pop it back up, chew it some more, pop it down to the you know, second stomach, stomach, pop it back up until it's gone through all seven stomachs. And by the time, it's completely digested. That's what meditation is in, in the ancient Hebrew understanding. And if in what it means on a practical level is take these ideas, take a simple, you know, topic of, you know, um, let's say uh, prospecting and just start to think about it. Just chew it up. Don't just say, yeah, it, prospecting is this. But if you begin to chew it up, like meditate on what is prospecting, what are ways to think about it? Like if you go deep on it with that thinking time and you start like to meditate on what does this mean, you'll like, you'll get to deep levels and ways of thinking about it and presenting it and, 
and you know that people don't even think about. And all of a sudden, when you start to write that stuff, people are like, whoa, even though the basic idea is the most basic idea everybody's talked about, but the way you present it, the way you frame it, this is what I've learned. If I frame an idea in the right way at the beginning, if I capture their attention and I frame it the right way, I can talk them up the most basic concept and it'll feel like it's brand new and it'll feel, it'll feel like no one else talked about it because I framed it in my writing. I captured their attention. I framed it with this idea that, that presents it in a new light. So uh, beautifully said that that's the key right there. So let's shift gears a little bit. And, and I know this is a really big topic, but I know you have also a couple of, of thoughts on this. Um, so you, you put the stuff out there, right? Um, now, obviously, this could help in terms of uh, nurturing longer term prospects, um, nurturing dormant clients, and also when new prospects come into your site or they come in contact with you, they can right. come across these breadcrumbs and in, in this content, right? That's that right. elevates you and gives you more credibility. Right. But how can you use this to build an audience? Well, that's a good question. You know, again, this is the who factor. You know, before we talked about, you know, uh, on a marketing level, but but now, you know, the the way I want your audience to think about it is is in what and how you actually spend your time. You know, most p- business owners are going to spend most of their time on the what, you know, the skill set, you know, the job, which obviously you need to do if you're going to get paid. Um, but what they need to realize is that just doing the work, just being good at what you do is not the thing that's going to lead you to success. You know, if, if, if that was true, every great copywriter would be equally successful, right? <laughs> but but that, that doesn't happen, right? In fact, some copywriters are less talented, but they're more successful, right? Oh, yeah. You know, and, and because this has been a truth throughout history. <laughs> it, it's not just what you do that brings success, but you need to begin to focus on that who. And like you mentioned, you need to make sure that you are focusing you know, on an audience. You know, if, if I told you, uh, you know, th- three great authors, you know, um, Herman Melville is the guy that wrote Moby Dick, Emily Dickinson, she's the poet most know her, Edgar Allan Poe. If I told someone, these, here's three authors, what do they have in common? And most people would say they're all successful writers. That's, yeah. actu- that's actually wrong. None of them were successful writers. None of them became successful till after they died. Uh, in fact, Melville's book, uh, Moby Dick, which we all know this, these days, was the book that actually began to end his career. His career took a dive with that book. So we think of it as, oh, it's awesome. He thinks of it as it was the end of my career. Um, Emily Dickinson was so shy, she never left her room. Nobody knew she was a poet till after she died. Her parents... Uh, produced her work. So if these people who are obviously amazing writers, you know, greater than, you know, you or I or anybody listening, and they couldn't become famous just by focusing on their what, it means that you've got to move beyond the what to the who. You have to build an audience. They were great at actually what they did, but they weren't good at building an audience. And so I would encourage your listeners to begin to focus on the who of building an audience. And what we've been talking about, the good news is that most of what we've been talking about actually builds your audience. When you start interviewing people, those experts start to mention your interviews and they send their audience to you. When you get interviewed by somebody, when you write for somebody, you know, all of those things begin to draw the traffic that you need. Um, 
anyway, but but what I want your audience to realize is we are spoiled these days because at no point in history has it ever been as easy to build an audience. In the past, you know, you had to know the right people, you had to have money to actually, you know, get a book published or end up on a radio show or have a TV show. And nowadays, you know, with the internet, blogging is 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 the digital printing press you know podcasting is is the radio you know in the new form you know youtube is the new television so we have access to all these things and for most of them the access is free but we just need to begin to choose you know decide am i gonna am i gonna build my audience like you're building it through a podcast or am i gonna build it through writing on a blog am i gonna do it by video and then begin to focus what we talked about already to build that audience and to gather those people around this channel, this tool, and around the, the subject matter that you begin to create. So what would you advise somebody? Because it's, right, those, those all three sound great. Blogging, right. podcasting, YouTube, and there's right. others. But right. um, how would you advise somebody who could easily fall into this kind of paradox of choice situation where – gosh, I don't know. They all sound good. I'm not sure where to get started. So therefore I don't do anything. (laughs) Right. Uh, Well, first of all, the key is action. In fact, if, you know, if they just take, not even just with this interview with, you know, you and I right now, but you know, anything they've listened to, if they just take action on the ideas, I guarantee you, you know, I'm not saying that's going to be instant success. You know, that, that I can't guarantee that, but the people that take action, see results. Results don't come from just, you know, I talked about meditating. They don't come from just thinking, (laughs) you know, they don't come from thinking, you know, you could agree that what I, you know, that what we're talking about today, what you and I are discussing is, is the best information that has ever been. And, you know, we'd, we'd like to think that, but if someone doesn't take action on it, they will never see results. So my answer to that question would, would be just take action. So just decide (laughs) it, you know, like, okay, if they all look good, then just pick one, flip a coin, you know, uh, have someone else pick it for you, you know, like, I mean, obviously you want to be smart, you know, if you hate, you know, getting in front of a camera, then you probably don't want to choose YouTube, at least not at the beginning, right? Until you, you can be brave enough to try it, even though you're scared. Uh, but pick, you know, pick something and just start moving because the people that start taking action are the people that see results and the people that wait around to take action, keep waiting around to see results and they will keep waiting around to see results. So true. So true. Um, so as we wrap up here, Scott, it, you know, is there any any particular thought, uh, recommendation, or piece of advice that maybe we haven't talked about, or maybe something we have talked about that you really want to emphasize here is um, that the people need to take to heart? What What would you say? Well. There's a couple of things, but I'll, I'll pick one. I would encourage your audience, as they're, as they're building an audience, to focus on subscribers, not just listeners, not just readers, not just viewers of your videos. And, you know, I need to be better at this <laughs> um, uh, because subscribers are the thing that makes the difference. Otherwise, you know, it's, it's hard to connect with those people. It's hard to begin to allow them to know, like, and trust you if you don't build that relationship. And, you know, someone might come to your site. They might read your article that you did a guest post. You were brave and you did a guest post somewhere else. They might say, I, would maybe, I really might want to work with this person someday. And what's going to happen? They're never going to remember you again. You know, like, what was that guy's name? What was that girl's name? You know, like, what, what show was that even on? I don't even know. You know, and so, but by having the subscribers, by having that email list, 
you have a way to keep in contact, to keep in front of them for when they are finally ready <laughs> to make the decision, when they finally have the money. Um, and that subscriber list, again, is like is where the momentum, is where the success starts to come from because you're able to have that audience. That It's, it's almost like it's all, your little private channel with that audience. Um, and, and that gives you a power that most people that don't have a subscriber list that just have a, 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 you know, an audience that keeps visiting and leaving and they don't know them. They don't know their audience. Their audience doesn't know them. You will have so much more power than that person, uh, because you built that subscriber list. So it, it really, again, the number one thing I would say is, is stop focusing on what, whether it's in marketing or in your life and start focusing on the who. And when you focus on the who, all of a sudden things begin to change, even though you didn't really change hardly. So, you know, just to give an example there, wouldn't it be a shame if you actually landed a guest post with Content Marketing Institute and people loved it and then they had no way to kind of get in your world? So that's exactly uh, the, right. The link to your website, uh, they went there, they were impressed, right? And then there was right. no way for you to capture their name so you could stay in touch with them until they that's were right. ready to hire you. That would that's be right. a wasted opportunity. That's right. And, and you know, uh, the way we got connected is Mary Ellen was one of my subscribers to something. She, she was, uh, you know, she visited my site and we interacted and, um, we had built some more of a relationship and then she connected us. So like, it's by building that relationship that new doors open up that, that weren't even, you didn't even know were possible and new connections. You didn't even know, you know, were out there. Absolutely. This is great, man. This is uh, wonderful so much, stuff. Ed. Uh, so before we wrap up, where, where can, I send people, where can they learn more about your, your world, your, the content you put out there? Where can they, they start a conversation with you? Uh, two things, uh, recessionsolution.com, that site that I started when it was focused on the recession, I now write about content marketing. I write about business. I write about branding, you know, all sorts of stuff. Most things nowadays are on content marketing. So they could go to recessionsolution.com and recession without, uh, without an S, recessionsolution.com. And uh, my Twitter handle is ramp, R-A-M-P, like a ramp you go up, ramp businesses. Um, they could follow me on Twitter or they could look for uh, my book on Amazon 51 Content Marketing Hacks. Those are three ways they can find me. Awesome. Well, guys, check it out. I'll make sure to include links to all of that in the show notes. Scott, thanks again for coming on. This is great information. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview and that discussion and that it got you thinking a little bit more about how you could position yourself as an expert in your field. And I also wanted to remind you that you can grab the detailed show notes at b2blauncher.com forward slash episode 91. So all links, a summary of what we talked about is all there. One last quick thing, and this is really more just of an idea. If you're going to be traveling here during the holidays over the next few weeks, I invite you to take me with you. If you have a smartphone, uh, there are many ways to do that very easily on iPhone. The iOS has a built-in podcast app. It makes it very easy for you to subscribe to different podcasts and uh, just kind of keep track of where you left off with different episodes. It automatically downloads new episodes of your favorite shows. It's awesome. And of course, you have many different options with Android as well in the App Store with different podcast apps. But if you get a lot of driving time, uh, a lot of airplane time, I encourage you to take me with you and other uh, favorite shows. 
um, you know, might as well go ahead and, uh, and and learn a few things and just kind of fill your mind with with ideas so that you're ready to go here in the new year when you get back to work. We had one more episode before the year is out. It'll be in a couple of weeks. Um, but until then, I hope you have an awesome day and I will talk with you real soon. Take care. The High Income Business Writing Podcast is a production of B2B Business Launcher. Learn more at b2blauncher.com.